This morning's scripture reading comes from the Song of Songs, the sixth chapter, fourth verse, through the seventh chapter and the fifth verse. Yeah. You are beautiful as Terzah, my love. Lovely as Jerusalem, awesome as an army with banners. Turn away your eyes from me, for they overwhelm me. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of ewes that have come up from the washing. All of them bear twins. Not one among them has lost its young. Your cheeks are like the halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. There are 60 queens and 80 concubines and virgins without number. My dove, my perfect one, is the only one. The only one of her mother, pure to her who bore her. The young women saw her and called her blessed. The queens and concubines also, and they praised her. Who is this who looks down like the dawn? Beautiful is the moon, bright is the sun, awesome as an army with banners. I went down to the nut orchard to look at the blossoms of the valley, to see whether the vines had budded, whether the pomegranates were in bloom. Before I was aware, my desire set me among the chariots of my kinsman, a prince. Return, return, O Shulamite, return, return, that we may look upon you. Why would you look upon the Shulamite as upon a dance before two armies? How beautiful are your feet and sandals, O noble daughter. Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master hand. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is a heap of wheat encircled with lilies. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are pools in Hezbon by the gate of Bathrabim. Your nose is like a tower of Lebanon, which looks toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like Carmel, and your flowing locks are like purple. A king is held captive in the tresses. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true, and it is given to us in love. All right. Good to be back with you guys. I've had COVID with my family for a little while. Lost my voice and glad to be back and talking with you. Um, for the next two weeks, uh, I'm going to be preaching. and I want to take us back to a little time over your life called middle school. Uh, some of us may be there right now, actually, in here. And if you're there, uh, just stay where you are. It's great. Um, if you're uh, older than middle school, we're going to go back uh, and visit middle school. Middle school is, I think, a time where we all started wrestling with the themes of Song of Solomon. Um, not necessarily because we read the text. Um, some of us may have. It would be good to read the text, um, but probably more so from our life, from experiences the world are bringing to us, from our bodies, changing our emotions, changing. And it's where we began, we began to make sense of these things, I think usually often alone. Um, and so this week we're going to talk about the state of being in love. State of being in love. And uh, next week the text points us to the act of consummating love, uh, the anticipation of, of sex between two love lovers. And so if you're uh, a parent in here and you're 
um, wondering, uh, should I bring my kid next week? I think that we are leaving that up to your discretion. This week's totally great. Um, but based on your plan of when you want to share these things with your, ch- with your children and how. Um, and so, so please use your discretion. Next week I will talk about sex and plain language and the biblical purpose it has in our lives. And if you're realizing you're in here and you're like, I actually don't have a plan of talking to my kids about those things. I don't know how to do that. Um, that is okay. You're not alone in that. And so we as a staff wanted to share two resources with you guys. Um, Derek, you want to throw that up on the screen? So one uh, book that's really good is called Angry Birds and Killer Bees, How to Talk to Your Children About Sex. This is a book written um, in 2013, and so it's kind of updated in this new world we live in where kids are experiencing these things at very, very early ages. Uh, and, and gives you, starting from age three, kind of a plan of, of what to say, how to say it with your kids, talking about things. Another thing, if you're, if you're not a book reader, we have a podcast as well, option, um, talking to your children about sex, the practical stuff, by counselor Adam Young. Uh, so it's episode 102 of his podcast. Uh, so those are two kind of in, introductory resources that would be helpful. Um, and also feel free to talk to any of us on staff um, we're all figuring it out, the same as you, but um, yeah, we'd like to lean on each other in that. So without any further ado, let's dive into middle school. My peak, really? Uh, no, it was not. Um, <clears throat> so uh, middle school Harrison, a couple things about him. Uh, middle school Harrison loved radio songs about love. Not publicly, but privately. Uh, one example is, uh, it's just you and me and all of the people and I don't know why. I can't take my eyes off of you. Uh, <clears throat> one of the example of many. Um, I watched on TV the pursuit of love between two people. Even kids' movies had love stories in them. Almost every movie does. Pursuit of love, despite all these challenges, coming together, um, being faithful to one another, living happily ever after. Um, I, I view love as it was portrayed, I think, to me in, in these movies and shows and songs. Um, as a place of safety where all of your hopes and dreams come true as a person. Um, middle school Harrison would, would have sleepovers with friends. And one thing, if you got really close to your friend, you might be like, so who do you like? Uh, you know, who, who, who do you like in these days? And they'd be like, oh, I like, I don't know if I should tell you, but I like, I like Margot. It's like, oh, I like Emily. Oh, man. And that was, that was a, a way of connecting. It felt safe. It felt um, comforting to think about somebody that you liked. Um, I had my first relationship in middle school. I asked out Emily. Uh, we went out for a month, never talked to each other one time for a whole month. Uh, just went out, thought about each other a lot, and then uh, came back together after a month, and we're like, we should, probably, should we break up? Because we didn't really do anything. Um, my second relationship, I had my first pain due to love. I asked out a girl named Catherine, and the thing was Catherine was best friends with Charlie, and I walked in one day on her sitting in his lap in one of the classes. And, and I didn't know what was going on. My heart was just like, oh, you know, just something hurts. I don't like it. I don't like it. And I ended it. I was like, I can't, I can't deal with this friendship that you have here. Middle school Harrison thought about love a lot. Um, I don't think that I'm the only one. A scholarly magazine that I like quoted that 70% of songs that we've written since 1960 are about being in love. 70%. And that percentage seems a little low, actually, if you do listen to the radio. Um, there's a lot of songs about love. Romantic love is a central piece of all of our lives, whether it's in your present, whether you're in love right now, you have somebody in mind as I'm saying these things, whether it's in your past, you've loved and you've lost. There's been a death or a breakup or an affair or 
some, some thing that broke that love away from you. Or whether it's in the future, you can't wait to find somebody who's going to be your beloved one day. Or whether it's not a thought that you, you may not have in your life. Your, your plan is to maybe not have this at all. Um, it's still central because it's in our songs, our TV shows, our celebrity news, our dreams, our traumas, our deepest longings, deepest losses, our most profound moments of life, all in this realm of being in love. The amazing thing is the Bible has a whole book about this condition, this sickness, this trance of being in love, and it's called Song of Solomon, and that's what we're going through right now. So my sermon today, I want to ask two questions that uh, middle school Harrison would have been asking. Uh, Number one, what is being in love? Number two, is it for me right here and right now? What is being in love, and is it for me right here and right now? So first, what is being in love? Look with me in, in our uh, text at uh, chapter 6, verse 4. As I read through this, consider what is the Holy Spirit, the writer of this text, wanting to communicate to you about being in love? What is the Holy Spirit communicating here to us? So verse 4, You are as beautiful as tears of my love, lovely as Jerusalem. So tears in Jerusalem are big cities in Israel. It's like us saying, You're as beautiful as New York City at night. Or as Hey There Delilah would say, Times Square can't shine as bright as you. I swear it's true. There's, there's a lyric for almost every one of these I have. I'm, I'm not going to do many more of those. Okay? Um, you're as awesome as an army with banners. So think about the awe and respect you'd have coming over a hill, seeing a big army uh, going on for miles with big banners over it. The male is saying, you are as awesome to me as that. Turn your eyes away from me. They overwhelm me. It's too much. Turn them away. You're too beautiful. Your hair is like flocks of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Picture hundreds of goats going down a hill, and they're, they're flowing beautiful hair, uh, cur- curly, and that's her hair to him. saying, your hair is as beautiful as that. Your teeth are like flocks of ewes, so ewes are white, sheep-like animals that have just come up from the washing. They're perfectly clean. All of them bear twins. Not one of them has lost its young. This is a society with no dentists, with no braces, and she has perfect teeth. All of them are there. They look amazing. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. Red, rosy cheeks hidden behind the veil. So what is the Spirit communicating to us in this? And then skip down to uh, chapter 7, verse 1. How beautiful are your feet and sandals, a noble daughter. He thinks of her as someone's daughter, as noble, as incredible, someone with honor. Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master hand. Their jewels, unlike ours, often would have been rounded. And he's saying they're being created by a master, the master, by God himself. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. Her, her belly button is a beautiful bowl that you would have on display that would have wine in it. Her belly is, is a heap of wheat encircled with lilies. Your breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Yes, he talks about breasts and not as objects, not as shameful, not as stumbling blocks, but as a good part of the body that God has made, worthy of celebration. He says they're like two young deer that God's made. Your neck is like an ivory tower, a tall white tower that's dignified, elegant, strong. Your eyes are pools of Heshbon by the gate of Bathrabim. This is a beautiful area in Israel with reflective pools in the midst of paradise. And he says, I look in your eyes, I see that. Your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon, which looks toward Damascus. This tower would have protected the city of Damascus. It was a comforting thing. He says, your nose is like that tower to me when I see it. Your head crowns you like 
Carmel, a mountain range that goes around the Mediterranean. He said, your head is like that over your body. It's tall, it's dignified, it's beautiful. And your flowing locks are like purple, the most expensive dye reserved for queens, the most rare dye. He said, your hair is like that. And a king is held captive in the tresses. A tress is a lock of woman's hair. Her hair is trapped him in. He's overwhelmed. He's captive to her. What is the Spirit trying to communicate to us in this about love? I think first thing is what we have here is not some long treatise about love, but it's merely a description of what we call being in love. More accurately, falling in love because he is helpless, he's captive, he's overwhelmed like someone falling off a cliff. He's thinking about her constantly, meditating on her beauty, honoring her, praising her. It's familiar, I think, to us. It's recognizable. Again, I have songs for all those things that, that we would sing. Uh, it's what happened to Mr. Darcy in Pride and Prejudice when he says to Elizabeth at the climax of the story, he says, if your affections have changed, then I would say to you, you have bewitched me body and soul. And I love, I love, I love you, and I never wish to be parted from you from this day forth. It's also what happened to Pip in Great Expectations when he confesses his love to Stella in one of the best descriptions of love that I've seen. He says, you are part of my existence, part of myself. You have been in every line I've ever read since I first came here on the river, in the darkness, in the wind, in the woods, in the sea, in the streets. You have been the embodiment of every graceful fancy that my mind has ever been acquainted with. That's what's happening in Song of Solomon is this male seeing her in all these different aspects of the world, the most beautiful things he knows of. He sees her in them. It's a description of what we call being in love, and it's here in the Bible. And it's also more than a description. And this is so important. Notice it's not condemned here as something that's evil, uh, like the ancient Greeks might have done. It's not dismissed as naive, like a cynic might have done. It's not explained away as some meaningless evolutionary force that's for the preservation of society, like many people might do today. But it's a celebration in a song. It's actually called in the text the Song of Songs, which it means, it's a superlative, it means the best of songs. It's the best song we know. That's why we write 70% of our songs are the best song. And this means that the Holy Spirit, the ultimate author of Scripture, is in these lines celebrating the beauty of being in love. And it's not just saying that it's good. It's saying that it's great. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's powerful. It's to be desired, to be sought after. It's inviting you into that celebration with it. Now, there are warnings in this book, and we've talked about in this sermon series some of the warnings, and and they're certainly there. Um, But the majority of the best of songs is not a warning. The majority of it is a celebration. The warnings are in the midst of that celebration. And why would the Spirit of God celebrate true love? Well, the best of songs, chapter 8, which Todd's going to preach on in a couple weeks, peels back the curtain for us in one verse. It says, For for romantic love, for true love, is as strong as death, jealousy as fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of Yahweh. Without this phrase, God really isn't talked about that much in this book. But this peels back the curtain that romantic love is the flame of Yahweh. It's from Him. It is Him somehow. It's Yahweh's. It belongs to him. The rest of scripture helps us make sense of this mystery by saying that marriage, the place of true love, 
points to, refers, tells us about, is a sign for Christ's relationship with the church. And that means that God doesn't just love the church. It means that God is in love with the church, with me and with you. With the raging flame. And we are like him in our lives. We point to him, we refer to him when we have the flame of Yahweh with one other person. The thing is, we're warned about fire a lot, are we not? Um, you, only you can prevent forest fires. Um, step away from the fire, get back. Um, make sure you have good uh, fire extinguishers and um, smoke detectors in your house. Um, stop, drop, and roll. It's easy to forget when fire is used correctly. It's one of the most beautiful, warm, amazing, illuminating things that we have. It's our main technology. I mean, fire cooks all of your food. And similarly to fire, the flame of Yahweh in Christian circles is so warned against that we forget the Song of Solomon's first and main message about fire, about the flame of Yahweh, to middle school Harrison and to you and to me, is that the fire and flame of Yahweh that you are feeling is, yes, it's good. It's a part of you longs for love is incredibly sacred and beautiful and worthy of praise and celebration. And in that part is one of the best places of your life that you powerfully image God. I wonder, when you were in middle school, did you get a message like that? Or was, was your message mostly no? Stop doing that. That's for adults. Whoa, kiss dating goodbye. Don't think about that now. You're going to get your heart broken. Stop seeing that boy. These cautions um, are good and right. Song of Solomon has these cautions in them. But we forget that those cautions are within the context of eight chapters of intense celebration of this thing. Many of us miss that godly celebration, and I think that's why we get to these lines in Song of Solomon, and they're weird to us. Why we can't imagine ever telling these lines or to someone else or hearing them from someone else. Ew. Why we can't also, many of us, stop watching uh, videos online of people saying these things to one another in secret. It's also why I think we feel emotionally distant from God and emotionally distant from our spouses. So we miss the godly celebration today, the Spirit of God wants to make sure that your deepest yearnings for intimacy that you maybe feel too scared to share with anybody else, that you hear the word, yes, God's likeness is right there. You are like him. That is the best of you. Though Satan may have twisted it, marred it, tried to make it beyond resemblance, he can't take away the fact that God is in there. His likeness is in that desire that you have. And that's a good thing for you to hear in middle school and to hear now. So what is being in love? Song of Solomon would first say it's an amazing state of being where you image God himself. It's the flame of Yahweh. And that's why there's such celebration in these lines. Many of you are thinking right now, though, what about the warnings, though? I can't hear that yes right now because I'm in middle school. I'm 10 years away at least from marrying somebody. Um, I'm too young, too far away. I, I, I can't hear that yes now. 
Some of you are saying, I feel romantic love for members of my own sex. And I know that the Bible uh, says that that's, that's sinful, that's wrong, so I can't hear that yes now. Some of you may be saying, my lover, my spouse is dead and gone. Longing for love hurts. I can't hear that yes right now. Or my lover had an affair and is gone. I can't ever imagine loving again. Or I never found a spouse. I missed my window. Or I have a spouse and I haven't been able to feel love for him or her in 15 years. I can't hear that yes from the Spirit now. Leads us to the question, is this really for me right here and right now? Is this beautiful celebratory thing for me? Look with me in verse 8, a key element of the flame of Yahweh. There are 60 queens and 80 concubines and virgins without number. So queens are royal women married to the king. There's 60 of them in this scenario. Concubines are just regular women married to the king. There's 80 of them. Virgins without number. Notice the numbers getting bigger, 60, 80, without number. But my dove, my perfect one, is the only one. The only one of her mother, pure to the one who bore her. This is a view of a person from the lens of their mother. So if you go visit a baby... Um, your experience of that baby is very different from the mom who carried that baby for nine months, that gave birth to that child, that's feeding that child, that's sitting with that child. She knows every scrap of, of skin on that child, knows every detail, knows how unique and beautiful he or she is. And the author here is saying, when you're in love, you get that glimpse of someone. And when you're in love with true love, They're the only one. They're worth more to you than all the other women in the world put together. It's contrasting two forms of life. The life where you see someone as God sees them, or the life where you use hundreds of women and get a lot less. And what do the others say in response to this form of life? My dove, my perfect one, is the only one, pure to the one who bore her, says the young women saw her and called her blessed. Queens and concubines also, they praised her. They didn't say, you could be missing, you're missing out on so many other men. This life could be so much better. And now they're saying, I wish I was you. I want that. I want that kind of relationship. This is one of the many places where the best of songs holds up exclusivity as an essential part of true love. True love in Song of Solomon is to be in love with one other person faithfully for your life. A chosen spouse who is your perfect one, your only one. And this kind of yes leads to no's, to uphold the power of that yes. Look at verse 13, chapter 6, verse 13. Um, so she goes out to see the beauty of nature and then gets called back by a group of people. Return, return, O Shulamite. Return so we might look upon you. And then he steps in. Why should you look upon the Shulamite as upon a dance between two armies? Shulamite is the, is the female and he's saying it's like we're two armies separated apart. And actually, she, I, I want her for me. She's mine. I don't want you to look at her in this way that I look at her with such intimacy, with such sensuality. And so he's saying, no, I want to say yes to her. And that means that you guys can't look at her that same way. The Song of Solomon, again, is pointing out the exclusive nature, the inevitable no's that protect that one yes. And this does have implications for middle school Harrison. And that question is, is this for me right here and right now with anybody I want? But before I get into the, those implications, um, I think this is part of true love that 
is viewed as something that's most challenged in our culture today. It's the exclusivity of it. Um, but I actually think it's still written on our hearts. I think it's still, we all know it deep down, and let me tell you a story about it. Um, the show The Office um, the, is, is a show about, uh, one of the central stories is a love story between uh, Jim Halpert and Pam Beasley, um, which starts as, as two people who are fit very well together, that we think should be together, but they're, they're separate at the time, and then there's this kind of pursuit of love against all odds, and then they get married, uh, they have kids, um, and it's held up as the most beautiful picture of true love. And um, in one of the later seasons, uh, the writers wrote in, um, trying to think of new challenges for them to face, they wrote in Jim Halpert, Halpert having an affair, um, being pursued by another woman and then giving in, making out with someone else. And John Krasinski, the, the actor, when he got to that line in the script, uh, said he did something he never thought he would do, is he went to his bosses and he put his foot down. And he said, I'm feeling there's a threshold with which you can push our audience. They're so dedicated. We have shown such great respect to them. But there's a moment where if you push them too far, they'll never come back. And I think that if you show them Jim cheating, they'll never come back. And he refused to shoot the scene. And they had to rewrite the story to him being faithful in the midst of that. And so why would the audience not come back? Is it because they're all Christians? Because they've all read Song of Solomon? No, it's because they've been giving a, given a glimpse of the beauty of true love. And their hearts would not allow it to be tarnished, to be ruined. They'd have to turn it off. They'd have to look away. Because true love is written on our hearts. And we know it and feel it deep down. It's a key aspect of any true love story. And why is exclusivity so important in true love? Here's the kicker. Remember the curtain pulled back at the end of Song of Solomon. Romantic love is as strong as death. Jealousy, part of exclusivity, is as fierce as the grave. It's flashes of flashes of fire, the very flame of Yahweh. Romantic love is a sign of the love of Yahweh. And over and over in the Old Testament, it says God is a jealous God for us. That he wants us to love him with a fierce exclusivity. No other gods. And even when we turn from him, he doesn't turn from us. He's a faithful God, full of steadfast love. That's how he introduces himself in the Old Testament. Who keeps covenant with us despite all of our betrayals and spiritual adultery that we do to him. The book of Hosea is about this and God shows us what it feels like to be him. Uh, to, to have someone commit spiritual adultery against you. In the midst of that, um, he then says, Yet I will allure you and bring you into the wilderness and speak tenderly to you. You will be my people and I will show you mercy. And what he's saying is, even though you've committed spiritual adultery, spiritual adultery against me, I will love you back to myself. And the epitome of this is the cross of Jesus. Jesus is the, the fullest revelation of Yahweh. And he would rather die than be separated from his bride, even the bride who had an affair on him over and over again. And he did die while we were still sinners. And this is exactly why our true love is exclusive. is because God is exclusive with us. He will not abandon his people and we are to be exclusive with him. That's the flame of Yahweh. So going back to now middle school Harrison, 
Is this exclusive love? The flame of Yahweh, is it for me right here and right now? The answer is yes and no. Yes and no. First, no. No with other girls right now because true love is exclusive. Your dove, your only one that you are married to is not here in your life. So don't try and start the flame of Yahweh with girl after girl after girl. It defaces the sign. It lacks the beauty and power of the real thing and it's dangerous. It's like kids with fireworks. You need protocol or you might blow your hand off. You might set your house on fire. True love with your spouse will be brighter than all those flames put together. Wait for her. That is one of the messages of Song of Solomon. Other places in Scripture also put up various guardrails around the flame of Yahweh on top of the one Song of Solomon puts up. In your situation, you might be looking at a scriptural no to having the flame of Yahweh right here, right now, with this person that you want to have it with. And we don't like these no's. We, we want to say, you know, it's just a biological thing. It's not a big deal. Love is love wherever you find it. Like, let, let, just let people do it. And we think that we're being progressive in that statement. But actually, a long time ago, everyone already thought that. And everyone did whatever they wanted. And then Jesus rose from the dead, and people started saying, actually, I think it's actually more than just something that's biological. I think it's actually, like, what if it's the flame of Yahweh? What if it's a sign of his love for us? What if he cares deeply about what that sign looks like? We can't just do it wherever we want, whenever we want. It's too beautiful and powerful to deface like that. That used to be a progressive message. And now we want to go back to before then. The Song of Solomon reminds us of the truth. And as we rage against these no's of Scripture as a culture, we miss the ultimate invitation the destination unto which the sign, the billboard, points to. The real answer to the question, is this for me right here and right now? God says, yes, with me. Yes, with me. You're so focused on that billboard, you forgot about the paradise that really exists. The always and forever, never giving up, never stopping flame of Yahweh and Song of Solomon says, yes, in a thousand different poetic ways. And God wants you body and soul forever, and he wants to be yours. He wants you to be his. And so is this for me, middle school me, divorced you, homosexual you, traumatized you, widowed you? The Bible is God's love letter saying, yes, the real thing is for you. All of your loves merely prepare the road for him. And this led even Paul to write that he preferred many of us in the church to be single in these last days because we could focus on pleasing God alone rather than pleasing a spouse. He says, you're close to the real thing. It's good to be single and focus on that. We're almost there. And so is being in love for me right here, right now, yes, with God. And for some of us with your spouse as a shadow, that points to God's love for us. And what is being in love? An amazing state of being, the flame of Yahweh that images God himself. So the challenge I want to leave you with is this. This week, in alone time, 
Open up your Bible to this passage, the Song of Solomon. Read it. Think about God wanting to be with you as much as these lovers want to be with each other. God wanting to be with you as much as these lovers wanting to be with each other. Ask this question, could it be true? Could this love, this flame, really be for me? Let's pray. Father, it's too good for us to look at. It's too intimate sometimes. It's, it's scary. We've never had that. We want it deep down, but we, we're afraid to admit it to ourselves. Lord, in this book, you lay open our hearts. And you call us into something deeper than we've been before. And I pray, Lord, this week, as we think on this, as we look at these words, would you lead us to yourself, to your heart? Would you kindle the flame of Yahweh in us for you? And would we be able to see, would you give us eyes to see your flame for us and the links you've gone to as a lover to win us back to yourself? Let us be moved by that. and Let us feel intimacy with you, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.